0: CD 9 The wizards climbed slowly and unsteadily over the wall, ample backsides gleaming in the moonlight, and stood wheezing gently on the far side. "'Tell me, Dean,' said the lecturer, leaning on the wall to stop the shaking in his legs, "'have we made the wall higher in the last fifty years?' "'I don't think so. Bod. Used to go up it like a gazelle. Not many years ago. Not many at all, really. The wizards wiped their foreheads and looked sheepishly at one another. <sighs> used to nip over for a pint or three most nights, said the chair. I used to study in the evenings, said the dean primly. The chair narrowed his eyes. Yes, you always did, he said. I recall. It was dawning on the wizards that they were outside the university at night and without permission for the first time in decades. A certain suppressed excitement crackled from man to man. Any watcher trained in reading body language would have been prepared to bet that, after the click, someone was going to suggest that they might as well go somewhere and have a few drinks. And then someone else would fancy a meal. And then there was always room for a few more drinks. And then it would be 5am and the city guards would be respectfully knocking on the university gates and asking if the Arch-Chancellor would care to step down to the cells to identify some alleged wizards who were singing an obscene song in six-part harmony and perhaps he would also care to bring some money to pay for all the damage. Because inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. The chair reached up and grasped the brim of his tall, wide and floppy wizarding hat. ''Right, boys,'' he said. ''Hats off!'' They de-hatted, but with reluctance. A wizard gets very attached to his pointy hat. It gives him a sense of identity. But as the chair had pointed out earlier, if people knew you were a wizard because you were wearing a pointy hat, then if you took the pointy hat off, they'd think you were just some kind of rich merchant or something. The dean shuddered. ''Oh, it feels like I've taken all my clothes off,'' he said. "'We can tuck them in under Poons's blanket,' said the chair. Mm, "'No one'll know it's us.' "'Yes,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'But will we?' "'They'll just think we're, uh, well, solid burgers.' "'That's just what I feel like,' said the dean. "'A solid burger.' Mm, "'Or merchants,' said the chair. "'He smoothed back his white hair. "'Remember,' he said. "'If anyone says anything, we're not wizards. "'Just honest merchants out for an enjoyable evening, right?' "'What does an honest merchant look like?' said a wizard. "'How should I know?' said the chair. "'So no one is to do any magic,' he went on. "'I don't have to tell you what'll happen if the arch-chancellor hears "'that his staff has been seen at the common entertainments. "'I'm more worried about our students finding out.' Shouted the dean. "'False beards,' said the lecturer in recent rooms triumphantly. "'We should wear false beards.' The chair rolled his eyes. "'We've all got beards,' he said. "'What kind of disguise would false beards be?' "'Ah, that's the clever bit,' said the lecturer. "'No one would suspect that anyone wearing a false beard "'would have a real beard underneath, would they?' The chair opened his mouth to refute this, and then hesitated. "'Well,' he said, "'but where'd we get beards at this time of night?' said a wizard doubtfully. The lecturer beamed and reached into his pocket. "'We don't have to,' he said. "'That's the really clever bit. "'I brought some wire with me, you see, "'and all you need to do is break two bits off, "'twiddle them into your sideburns, "'then loop them over your ears rather clumsily like this,' he demonstrated." "'And there you are!' the chair stared. "'Uncanny,' he said at last. "'It's true. "'You look just like someone wearing a very badly made false beard.' "'Amazing, isn't it?' said the lecturer happily, passing out the wire. "'It's headology, you know.' "'There were a few minutes of busy twanging "'and the occasional whimper as a wizard punctured himself with wire, "'but eventually they were ready. "'They looked shyly at one another.' If we got a pillowcase without a pillow in it and shoved it down inside the chair's robe so the top was showing, he'd look just like a thin man making himself tremendously fat with a huge pillow, said one of them enthusiastically. He caught the chair's eye and went quiet. A couple of wizards grasped the handles of Poon's terrible wheelchair and started it rumbling over the damp cobbles. Uh, Eh? What's that? What's everyone doing? said Poon, suddenly waking up. "'We're going to play solid burgers,' said the dean. Yeah, "'That's a good game,' said Poons. "'Can you hear me, old chap?' "'The burser opened his eyes. "'The university sanitarium wasn't very big and was seldom used. "'Wizards tended to be either in rude health or dead. "'The only medicine they generally required was an antacid formula "'and a dark room until lunch.' Brought you something to read, said the voice diffidently. The bursar managed to focus on the spine of Adventures with Crossbow and Rod. Nasty knock you had there, bursar. Been asleep all day? The bursar looked blearily at the pink and orange haze, which gradually refined itself into the arch pink and orange face. Let's see, he thought. Exactly how did I... He sat bolt upright and grabbed the archchancellor's robe and screamed into the big pink and orange face, ''Something is going to happen!'' The wizards strolled through the twilight streets. So far, the disguise was working perfectly. People were even jostling them. No one ever knowingly jostled a wizard. It was a whole new experience. There was a huge crowd of people outside the entrance to the odium and a queue that stretched down the street... The dean ignored it, and led the party straight up to the doors, whereupon someone said, Oi! He looked up at a red-faced troll, in an ill-fitting military-looking outfit that included epaulettes the size of kettledrums, and no trousers. Yes, he said. There are a queue, you know, said the troll. The dean nodded politely. In Ankh-Morpork, a queue was almost by definition something with a wizard at the head of it. So I see, he said. "'and a very good thing, too. "'And if you will be so good as to stand aside, "'we'd like to take our seats.' "'The troll prodded him in the stomach. "'What you think you are?' he said. "'A wizard or something?' "'This got a laugh from the nearest cures. "'The dean leaned closer. "'As a matter of fact, we are wizards,' he hissed. "'The troll grinned at him. "'Don't come the raw triple eight with me,' he said. "'I can see your false beard.' Now listen, the dean began, but his voice became an incoherent squeak as the troll picked him up by the collar of his robe and propelled him out into the road. You get in the queue like everyone else, he said. There was a chorus of jeers from the queue. The dean growled and raised his right hand, fingers spread. The chair grabbed his arm. Oh, yes, he hissed. That'd do a lot of good, wouldn't it? Come on. Where to? To the back of the queue. But we're wizards. Wizards never stand in line for anything. We're honest merchants, remember? said the chair. He glanced at the nearest click goers, who were giving them odd looks. We're honest merchants, he repeated loudly. He nudged the dean. Go on, he hissed. Go on what? Go on and say something merchanty. What sort of thing is that? said the dean mystified say something everyone's looking at us oh the dean's face creased in panic and then salvation dawned lovely apples he said get them while they're hot they're lovely will this do i suppose so now let's get to the end there was a commotion at the other end of the street people surged forward the queue broke ranks and charged the honest merchants were suddenly surrounded by a desperately pushing crowd "'I say, there is a queue, you know,' said the honest merchant in recent runes diffidently as he was shoved aside. The dean grabbed the shoulder of a boy who was ferociously elbowing him aside. "'What's going on, young man?' he demanded. "'They're a-coming!' shouted the boy. "'Who are?' "'The stars!' The wizards, as one man, looked upwards. "'No, they're not,' said the dean, but the boy had shaken himself free and disappeared in the press of people.' Strange, primitive superstition," said the dean. And the wizards, with the exception of Poon's, who was complaining and flailing around with his stick, craned forward to see. The bursar met the arch in a corridor. "There's no one in the uncommon room," screamed the bursar. "The, the, the library's empty," bellowed the arch "I've heard about this sort of thing," the bursar whimpered. "Spontaneous something or other. They've all gone spontaneous." "'Calm down, man. Just because I can't even find any of the servants. "'You know what happens when reality gives way. "'Even now, giant tentacles are probably... "'There was a distant rum, vroom, vroom, vroom noise "'and the sound of pellets bouncing off the wall. "'Always in the same direction,' the bursa muttered. "'What uh, direction is that, then?' "'The direction they'll be coming from. I think I'm going mad.' ''Now, now,'' said the Arch-Chancellor, patting him on the shoulder. ''You don't want to go round talking like that. That's... that's... Mm, crazy talk.'' Ginger stared, panic-stricken, out of the carriage window. ''Who are all these people?'' she said. ''They're fans,'' said Dibbler. ''But I'm not hot.'' ''Uncle means that they're people who like seeing you in the cliques,'' said Sol. they eh, like you a lot.'' ''There's women out there too,'' said Victor. He gave a cautious wave. In the crowd, a woman swooned. ''You're famous,'' he said. ''You said you always wanted to be famous.'' Ginger looked out at the crowd again. ''I never thought it would be like this, though. They're all shouting our names.'' ''We put a lot of effort into telling people about Blowed Away,'' said Sol. ''Yes,'' said Dibbler. ''We said it was the greatest click in the entire history of Holy Wood. ''But we've been making clicks for only a couple of months,'' Ginger pointed out. ''So what?'' ''That's still a history,'' said Dibbler. Victor saw the look in Ginger's face. ''Exactly how long was Holywood's real history?'' ''Perhaps there was some ancient stone calendar down there on the seabed among the lobsters.'' ''Perhaps there was no way it could be measured. ''How did you measure the age of an idea?'' "'A lot of civic dignitaries are going to be there, too,' said Dibbler. "'The patrician and the nobles and the guild heads and some of the high priests. "'Not the wizards, of course, the stuck-up old idiots. "'But it'll be a night to remember right enough.' "'Will we have to be introduced to them all?' said Victor. "'No, they'll be introduced to you,' said Dibbler. "'It'll be the biggest thrill of their lives.' Victor stared out at the crowds again. Is it my imagination, he said, or is it getting foggy? Poons hit the chair across the back of the legs with his stick. Neh, what's going on, he said. Why is everyone cheering? The patrician's just got out of his carriage, said the chair. Don't say what's so wonderful about that, said Poons. I've got out of carriages hundreds of times. There's no trick to it at all. It is a bit odd, the chair admitted, and they cheered the head of the Assassin's Guild and the High Priest of Blind Eo, too. And now someone's rolled out a red carpet. What? In the street? In Ankh-Morpork? Yes. Wouldn't like to have their cleaning bill, said Poons. The lecturer in recent runes nudged the chair heavily in the ribs, or at least at the point where the ribs were overlaid by the strata of fifty years of very good dinners. ''Quiet!'' he hissed. ''They're coming.'' ''Who?'' ''Someone important, by the look of it.'' The chair's face creased in panic behind his false red beard. ''You don't think they've invited the Arch-Chancellor, do you?'' The wizards tried to shrink inside their robes like upright turtles. In fact, it was a far more impressive coach than any of the crumbling items in the University's muse. The crowd surged forward against the line of trolls and city guards and stared expectantly at the carriage door. The very air hummed with anticipation. Mr Beezam, his chest so inflated with self-importance that he appeared to be floating across the ground, bobbed towards the carriage door and opened it. The crowd held its collective breath "'except for a small part of it that hit surrounding people with its stick "'and muttered, "'What's happening? What's going on? "'Why won't anyone tell me what's happening? "'I demand someone tell me what's happening.' "'The door stayed shut. "'Ginger was gripping the handle as if it was a lifeline. "'There's thousands of them out there,' said Ginger. "'I can't go out there.' "'But they all watch your clicks,' pleaded Sol your public no Sol threw up his hands can't you persuade her he said to Victor I'm not even sure I can persuade myself said Victor but you've spent days in front of these people said Dibbler no I haven't said ginger it was just you and the handle men and the trolls and everyone that was different anyway that wasn't really me she added that was Dolores de sin Victor bit his lip thoughtfully ''Maybe you ought to send Dolores to sin out there, then,'' he said. ''How can I do that?'' she demanded. ''Well, why not pretend it's a click?'' The Dibblers, uncle and nephew, exchanged glances. Then Sol cupped his hands around his face like the eye of a picture box, and Dibbler, after a prompting nudge, placed one hand on his nephew's head and turned an invisible handle in his ear. ''Action!'' he directed. The carriage door swung open. The crowd gasped like a mountain breathing in. Victor stepped out, reached up, took Ginger's hand. The crowd cheered madly. The lecturer in recent runes bit his fingers in sheer excitement. The chair made a strange horse noise in the back of his throat. You know, you said, what could a boy find to do that was better than being a wizard? He said. A true wizard should only be interested in one thing, muttered the dean. You know that. <laughs> I know it. I was referring to magic. The chair peered at the advancing figures. You know, that is young Victor. I'll swear it, he said. That's disgusting, said the Dean. Fancy choosing to hang around young women when he could have been a wizard. Yeah, uh, what a fool, said the lecturer in recent runes, who was having trouble with his breathing. There was a sort of communal sigh. ''You've got to admit she's a bit of a corker, though,'' hmm, said the chair. Oh, ''I'm an old man, and if someone doesn't let me see very soon,'' said a cracked voice behind them, ''someone's going to be feeling the wrong end of mm, my stick. all right?'' Two of the wizards edged aside and eased the wheelchair through. Once moving, it coasted right up to the edge of the carpet, bruising any knees or ankle that stood in its way. Poons's mouth fell open. Ginger gripped Victor's hand. "'There's a group of fat old men in false beards waving at you over there,' she said through clenched and grinning teeth. "'Yeah, I think they're wizards,' Victor grinned back. "'One of them keeps bouncing up and down in his wheelchair and shouting things like way hey and whoop whoop and hubba hubba hubba.' "'That's the oldest wizard in the world,' said Victor. He waved at a fat lady in the crowd who fainted. "'Good grief! What was he like fifty years ago?' "'Well, for one thing he was eighty. "'Wizards who manage to avoid the ambitious attentions of other wizards "'tend to live for a long time. It seems even longer.' "'Don't blow him a kiss!' "'The crowd roared its approval. "'He looks sweet.' "'Just keep smiling and waving. "'Oh, gods, look at all those people waiting to be introduced to us!' "'I can see them,' said Victor. "'But they're important!' "'Well, so are we, I guess. "'Why? "'Because we're us. "'It's like you said that time on the beach. "'We're us, just as big as we can be, "'just as what you wanted. "'We're...' "'He stopped. "'The troll at the door of the odium gave him a hesitant salute. "'The thump, as its hand smacked into its ear, "'was quite audible above the roar of the crowd. "'Gaspode waddled at high speed down an alleyway, "'with Laddie trotting obediently at his heels.' No one had paid them any attention when they jumped, or in Gaspode's case, plopped down from the carriage. All evening in some stuffy pit ain't my idea of a good night out, muttered Gaspode. This is the big city. This ain't Hollywood. You stick by me, pup, and you'll be all right. First stop at the back door of Arger's House of Ribs. They know me there. OK. Ooh, ooh good boy, laddie. Yeah, said Gaspode. ''Look at what it's wearing,'' said Victor. ''Red velvet jacket with gold frogging,'' said Ginger out of the corner of her mouth. ''So what? A pair of trousers would have been a good idea.'' ''Oh, gods,'' breathed Victor. They stepped into the brightly lit foyer of the odium. Bizam had done his best. Trolls and dwarfs had worked overnight to finish it. There were red plush drapes and pillars and mirrors. Plump cherubs and miscellaneous fruit, all painted gold, seemed to cover every surface. It was like stepping into a box of very expensive chocolates. Or a nightmare. Victor half expected to hear the roar of the sea, to see drapes fall away into a smear of black slime. Oh, gods, he repeated. What's the matter with you? said Ginger, grinning fixedly at the line of civic dignitaries waiting to be introduced to them. "'Wait and see,' said Victor hoarsely. "'It's Holywood. "'Hollywood's been brought to Ankh-Morpork.' "'Yes, but don't you remember anything "'that night in the hill before you woke up?' "'No, I told you.' "'Wait and see,' Victor repeated. "'He glanced at a decorated easel against one wall. "'It said, three showings a day, "'and he thought of sand dunes and ancient myths and lobsters.' Map-making had never been a precise art on the Discworld. People tended to start off with good intentions and then get so carried away with the spouting whales, monsters, waves and other twiddly bits of cartographic furniture that they often forgot to put the boring mountains and rivers in at all. The Arch-Chancellor put an overflowing ashtray on a corner that threatened to roll up. He dragged a finger across the grubby surface. Sit here!' "'Here be dragons,' he said. "'Right inside the city, too. Hmm, "'Odd, that.' "'That's just Lady Ramkin's "'Sunshine Sanctuary for Sick Dragons,' "'said the bursar distractedly. "'And here there's a terra incognita,' "'said the Arch-Chancellor. "'Why's that?' the bursar craned to see. "'Well, it's probably more interesting "'than putting in lots of cabbage farms.' "'And there's here been dragons again.' Uh, "'I think that's just a lie, in fact.' "'The Arch-Chancellor's horny thumb "'continued in the direction they'd worked out. "'He brushed aside a couple of fly-specks. "'Nothing here at all,' he said, peering closer. "'Just the sea, and,' he squinted, "'the holy wood. "'Mean anything?' "'Isn't that where the alchemists all went?' said the bursar. "'Oh, them!' ''I suppose,'' said the bursar slowly, ''they wouldn't be doing some kind of magic out there?'' ''Alchemists doing magic?'' ''Sorry, sorry, ridiculous idea, I know. The porter told me they do some sort of uh, shadow play or something, or puppets, or something similar, pictures, or something.'' ''I wasn't really paying attention. I mean, alchemists, really. I mean, assassins, yes.'' "'Thieves, yes, even merchants. "'Merchants can be really devious sometimes, but alchemists. "'Show me a more unworldly, bumbling, well-meaning... "'His voice trailed off as his ears caught up with his mouth. "'They wouldn't dare, would they?' he said. "'Would they?' "'The bursar gave a hollow laugh. "'No, they wouldn't dare.' They know we'd be down on them like a ton of bricks if they tried any magic round here. His voice trailed off again. I'm sure they wouldn't, he said. I mean, even that far away, he said. They wouldn't dare, he said. Not magic, surely not, he said. I've never trusted those grubby-handed bastards, he said. They're not like us, you know. They've got no idea of proper dignity. The crowd, surging around the box office, was getting deeper and more angry by the minute. Well, have you gone through all your pockets? Demanded the chair. Yes, muttered the dean. Have another look, then. As far as wizards were concerned, paying to get into anything was something that happened to other people. A pointy hat usually did nicely. While the dean struggled, the chair beamed madly at the young woman who was selling tickets. "'But I assure you, dear lady,' he said desperately, "'we are wizards.' "'I can see your false beards,' said the girl, and sniffed. "'We get all sorts in here. "'How do I know you aren't three little boys in your dad's coat?' "'Madam!' "I've got 2 dollars and 15 pence," said the dean picking the coins out of a handful of fluff and mysterious occult objects. "That's two in the stalls then," said the girl grudgingly unreeling two tickets. The chair scooped them up. "Then I'll take windolin," he said quickly turning to the others. "I'm afraid the rest of you'd better get back to your honest trading." He moved his eyebrows up and down suggestively. "I don't see why we should," the dean began, "'Otherwise we'll be in arrears,' the chair went on, mugging furiously. "'If you don't get back.' "'See here, that was my money,' and the dean said. "'But the lecturer in recent runes grabbed his arm. "'Just come along,' he said, winked slowly and deliberately at the chair. "'Time we were getting back.' "'I don't see why,' the dean gurgled as they dragged him off. Grey clouds swirled in the arch-chancellor's magic mirror. Many wizards had them, but not many had ever bothered to use them. They were quirky and unreliable. They weren't even much good for shaving in. Ridcully was surprisingly adept at using one. Stalking, he offered as a brief explanation. Couldn't be having with all that crawling around in damp bracken for hours, big odds. Help yourself to a drink, man. And one for me. The clouds flickered. ''Can't seem to see anything else,'' he said. ''Odd that. Just fog flashing away.'' The Arch-Chancellor coughed. It was beginning to dawn on the bursar that against all expectation the Arch-Chancellor was quite bright. ''Ever seen one of these shadow-moving puppet-play picture things?'' Ridcully said. ''The servants go,'' said the bursar. This, Ridcully decided, meant no. ''I think we should have a look,'' he said. Uh, "'Very well, Arch-Chancellor,' said the bursar, meekly. "'An inviolable rule about buildings for the showing of moving pictures, "'applicable throughout the multiverse, "'is that the ghastliness of the architecture around the back "'is universally proportional to the gloriousness "'of the architecture in the front. "'At the front, pillars, arches, gold-leaf, lights. "'At the back, weird ducts, "'mysterious prolapses of pipework, blank walls, "'fetid alleys, and the window to the lavatories. "'There's no reason at all why we should have to do this,' "'moaned the dean as the wizard struggled in the darkness. "'Shut up and keep pushing,' muttered the lecturer in recent runes "'from the other side of the window. "'We could have changed something into money,' said the dean. "'Just a quick illusion. What's the arm in that?' "'It's called watering the currency,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'You can get thrown into the scorpion pit for stuff like that.' Where am I putting my feet? Where am I putting my feet? You're fine, said a wizard. Right, Dean, up you come. Oh dear, moaned the Dean as he was dragged through the narrow window into the unmentionable gloom beyond. No good will come of this. Just watch where you're putting your feet. Now see what you've done. Didn't I tell you to watch where you're putting your feet? Anyway, come on. The wizards skulked, or in the Dean's case, squelched furtively through the backstage area and into the darkened, bustling auditorium, where Wendell Poons was keeping some seats free by the simple expedient of waving his stick at anyone who came near them. They sidled in, tripping over one another's legs, and sat down. They stared at the shadowy grey rectangle at the other end of the hall. After a while, the chair said, "'Can't see what people see in it, myself." "'Has anyone done deformed rabbit?' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'It hasn't started yet,' hissed the dean. "'I'm hungry,' complained Poons. "'I'm an old mm, man, and I'm hungry.' "'Do you know what he did?' said the chair. "'Do you know what the old fool did? "'When a young lady with a torch was showing us to our seats, he pinched on the uh, the fundament poons sniggered eh, humber, humber. <laughs> does your mother know you're out he cackled it's all too much for him the chair complained we never should have brought him do you realize we're missing our dinner said the dean the wizards fell silent at this a stout woman edging in past Poons's wheelchair suddenly started and looked round suspiciously and saw nothing except a dear old man obviously fast asleep. And it's goose on Tuesdays, said the Dean. Poons opened one eye and honked the horn of his wheelchair. Centra eh, Bobs uh, How's your granny off for soap? he muttered triumphantly. See what I mean? said the chair. He doesn't know what century it is. Poons turned a beady black eye on him. Old I am, and daft I may be, he said, but I ain't going to be hungry. He rummaged around in the unspeakable depths of the wheelchair and produced a greasy black bag. It jingled. I saw a young lady up the front selling of special moving picture food, he said. You mean you had money all the time, said the dean, and you never told us. You never asked, said Poons. The wizard stared hungrily at the bag. They be having buttered, banged grains and sausages in buns, and and chocolate things with things on, and things, said Poons. He gave them a toothless and crafty look. You can have some too, if you like. He added, graciously. The dean ticked off his purchases. Now, he said, that's six patrician-sized tubs of banged grains with extra butter, eight sausages in a bun, a jumbo cup of fizzy drink, and a bag of chocolate-covered raisins. He handed over the money. Right, said the chair, gathering up the containers. Um, do you think we should get something for the others? In the picture-throwing room, Beezam cursed as he threaded the huge reel of blown away into the picture-throwing box. A few feet away, in a roped-off section of the balcony, the patrician of Ankh-Morpork, Lord Vettinari, was also ill at ease. They were, he had to admit, a pleasant enough young couple. He just wasn't sure why he was sitting next to them, and why they were so important. He was used to important people, or at least to people who thought they were important. Wizards became important through high deeds of magic. Thieves became important for daring robberies, and so in a slightly different way did merchants. Warriors became important through winning battles and staying alive. Assassins became important through skilful inhumations. There were many roads to prominence, but you could see them. You could work them out. They made some sort of sense. Whereas these two people had merely moved interestingly in front of this new-fangled moving picture machinery. The rankest actor in the city's theatre was a multi-skilled master of thespianism by comparison to them, but it wouldn't occur to anyone to line the streets and shout out his name. The patrician had never visited the cliques before. As far as he could ascertain, Victor Maraschino was famous for a sort of smouldering look that had middle-aged ladies who should know better swooning in the aisles. And Mr. Sin's forte was acting languidly, slapping faces, and looking fantastic while lying among silken cushions while he, patrician of Ankh-Morpork, ruled the city, preserved the city, loved the city, hated the city, and spent half a lifetime in the service of the city. And as the common people had been filing into the stalls, his razor-keen hearing had picked up the conversation of two of them. "'Who's that up there?' "'That's Victor Maraschino and Dolores de Sin. Do you know nothing?' "'I mean, the tall guy in black. "'Oh, uh, don't know who he is. Just some bigwig, I expect.' Yes, it was fascinating. You could become famous just for being, well, famous. It occurred to him that this was an extremely dangerous thing, and he might probably have to have someone killed one day, although it would be with reluctance. On his part, that is. Their reluctance probably goes without saying. In the meantime, there was a kind of secondary glory that came from being in the company of the truly celebrated, and to his astonishment he was enjoying it. Besides, he was also sitting next to Mr. Sin, and the envy of the rest of the audience was so palpable he could taste it, which was more than he could do with a bag full of fluffy white starchy things he'd been given to eat. On his other side, the horrible Dibbler man was explaining the mechanics of moving pictures in the utterly mistaken belief that the patrician was listening to a word of it. There was a sudden roar of applause. The patrician leaned sideways to Dibbler. Mm, "'Why are all the lamps being turned down?' he said. "'Ah, sir,' said Dibbler, "'that is so you can see the pictures better.' "'Is it?' "'One would imagine it would make the pictures harder to see,' said the patrician. "'It's not like that with moving pictures, sir,' said Dibbler. "'How very fascinating.' "'The patrician leaned the other way to Ginger and Victor.' To his mild surprise, they were looking extremely tense. He'd noticed that as soon as they had walked into the odium. The boy looked at all the ridiculous ornamentation as if it was something dreadful, and when the girl had stepped into the pit proper, he'd heard her gasp. They looked as though they were in shock. "'I expect this is all perfectly commonplace to you,' he said. "'No,' said Victor, "'not really. "'We've never been in a proper picture pit before.' "'Except once.' "'said Ginger, grimly. "'Yes, except once. "'But, ha, you make moving pictures,' said the patrician kindly. "'Yes, but we never see them. "'We just see bits of them when the handlemen are gluing it all together. "'The only clicks I've ever seen were on an old sheet outdoors,' said Victor. "'So this is all new to you,' said the patrician. "'Not exactly,' said Victor, grey-faced. "'Fascinating,' said the patrician, and went back to not listening to Dibbler. "'He had not got where he was today by bothering how things worked. "'It was how people worked that intrigued him. "'Further along the rows, Sol leaned across to his uncle "'and dropped a small coil of film in his lap. "'This belongs to you,' he said sweetly. "'What is it?' said Dibbler. "'Well, I thought I'd have a quick look at the click before it got shown.' "'You did?' said Dibbler, and what did I find in the middle of the Burning City scene but five minutes showing nothing but a plate of spare ribs in Hager's special peanut sauce? I know why, of course. I just want to know why this. Dibbler grinned guiltily. The way I see it, he said, if one little quick picture can make people want to go and buy things, just think what five minutes' worth could do. Sol stared at him. ''I'm really hurt by this,'' said Dibbler. ''You didn't trust me, your own uncle. ''After I gave you my solemn promise not to try anything again, you didn't trust me. ''That that wounds me, soul. I'm really wounded. Whatever happened to integrity round here?'' ''I think you probably sold it to someone, uncle.'' ''I'm really hurt,'' said Dibbler. ''But you didn't keep your promise, uncle.'' "'That's got nothing to do with it. That's just business. "'We're talking family here. "'You've got to learn to trust family, Sol. "'Especially me.' "'Sol shrugged. "'Okay, okay. Right?' "'Yes, Uncle,' Sol grinned. "'You've got my solemn promise on that.' "'That's my boy.' "'At the other end of the row, "'Victor and Ginger were staring at the blank screen in sullen horror. "'You know what's going to happen now, don't you?' "'said Ginger. "'Yes, someone's going to start playing music "'out of a hole in the floor.' "'Was that cave really a picture pit?' "'Sort of, I think,' said Victor carefully. "'But the screen here is just a screen. "'It's not... well, it's just a screen. "'Just a better class of sheet. "'It's not... "'There was a blast of sound from the front of the hall.' With a clanking and the hiss of desperately escaping air, Bizam's daughter Calliope rose slowly out of the floor, attacking the keys on a small pipe with all the verve of several hours' practice and the combined efforts of two strong trolls working the bellows behind the scenes. She was a beefy young woman, and whatever piece of music she was playing, it was definitely losing. Down in the stalls, the dean passed a bag along to the chair. "'Have a chocolate-covered raisin,' he said they look like rat droppings said the chair the dean peered at them in the gloom so that's it he said the bag fell on the floor a minute ago and i thought there seemed rather a lot Shh, said a woman in the row behind Windlepoons's scrawny head turned like a magnet hoochie coochie he cackled two pence more and up goes the donkey the lights went down further, the screen flickered, numbers appeared and blinked briefly, counting down. Calliope peered intently at the score in front of her, rolled up her sleeves, pushed her hair out of her eyes, and launched a spirited attack on what was just discernible as the old Arkmore Porkian civic anthem. We can rule you wholesale. The lights went out. The sky flickered. It wasn't like a proper fog at all; it shed a silvery slaty light flickering internally like a cross between the Aurora Coriolis and summer lightning in the direction of Holy Wood. The sky blazed with light. it was visible even in the alley behind Sham Hager's House of Ribs, where two dogs were enjoying the all you can drag out of the midden for free special. Laddie looked up and growled, "I don't blame ye," said Gaspode. I said it boded. Didn't I say there was boding happening? Sparks crackled off his fur. Come on, he said. We better warn people. You're good at that. Click, 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 It was the only noise inside the odium. Calliope had stopped playing and was staring up at the screen. Mouths hung open and closed only to bite on handfuls of banged grains. Victor was dimly aware that he'd fought it. He'd tried to look away. Even now, a little voice in his own head was telling him that things were wrong, but he ignored it. Things were clearly right. He'd shared in the sighs as the heroine tried to preserve the old family mine in a world gone mad. He'd shuddered at the fighting in the war. He'd watched the ballroom scene in a romantic haze. He was aware of a cold sensation against his leg. It was as though a half-melted ice cube was soaking through his trousers. He tried to ignore it, but it had a definite unignorable quality. He looked down. "Skills me,'' said Gaspode. Victor's eyes focused. Then his eyes found themselves being dragged back to the screen, where a huge version of himself was kissing a huge version of Ginger. There was another feeling of sticky coldness. He surfaced again. ''I can bite your leg if you like,'' said Gaspode. ''I, um...'' uh," Victor began. ''I can bite it quite hard.'' Gaspod added. Just say the word. No, er. Uh, Something's boding, just like I said. Bode, bode, bode. Laddie's tried barking until he's hoarse, but no one's listening. So I thought I'd try the old cold nose technique. Never fails. Victor looked around him. The rest of the audience were staring at the screen as if they were prepared to remain in their seats for. forever. When he lifted his arms up from the seat, sparks crackled from his fingers, and there was a greasy feel to the air that even student wizards soon learned to associate with a vast accumulation of magical potential. And there was fog in the pit. It was ridiculous, but there it was, covering the floor like a pale silver tide. He shook Ginger's shoulder. He waved a hand in front of her eyes. He shouted in her ear. Then he tried the patrician and Dibbler. They yielded to pressure, but swayed gently back into position again. ''The film's doing something to them,'' he said. ''It must be the film. But I can't see how. ''It's a perfectly ordinary film. We don't use magic in Hollywood. At least, not normal magic.'' He struggled over unyielding knees until he reached the aisle and ran up it through the tendrils of fog. He hammered on the door of the picture-throwing room. When that got no answer, he kicked it down. Beezam was staring intently at the screen through a small square hole cut in the wall. The picture-thrower was clicking away happily by itself. No one was turning the handle.'' At least Victor corrected himself, no one he could see. There was a distant rumble and the ground shook. He stared at the screen. He recognised this bit. It was just before the burning of Ankh-Morpork scene. His mind raced. What was it they said about the gods? They wouldn't exist if there weren't people to believe in them? And that applied to everything. Reality was what went on inside people's heads. And in front of him were hundreds of people really believing what they were seeing. Victor scrabbled among the rubbish on Bizam's bench for some scissors or a knife and found neither. The machine whirred on, winding reality from the future to the past. In the background he could hear Gaspode saying, I expect I've saved the day, right? The brain normally echoes with the shouts of various inconsequential thoughts seeking attention. It takes a real emergency to get them to shut up. It was happening now. One clear thought that had been trying to make itself heard for a long time ran out in the silence. Supposing there was somewhere where reality was a little thinner than usual, and supposing you did something there that weakened reality even more. Books wouldn't do it, even ordinary theatre wouldn't do it, because in your heart you knew it was just people in funny clothes on a stage. But Hollywood went straight from the eye into the brain. In your heart you thought it was real. The clicks would do it. That was what was under Holywood Hill. The people of the old city had used the hole in reality for entertainment. And then the things had found them. And now people were doing it again. It was like learning to juggle lighted torches in a firework factory, and the things had been waiting. But why was it still happening? He'd stopped Ginger. The film clicked on. There seemed to be a fog around the picture-throwing box blurring its outline. He snatched at the spinning handle. It resisted for a moment and then broke. He gently pushed b off his chair, picked it up and hit the throwing box with it. The chair exploded into splinters. He opened the cage at the back and took out the salamanders and still the film danced on the distant screen. The building shook again. You only get one chance, he thought, and then you die. He pulled off his shirt and wrapped it around his hand. Then he reached out for the flashing line of the film itself and gripped it. It snapped. The box jerked backwards, film went on unreeling in glittering coils which lunged at him briefly and then slithered down to the floor. Click, 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 click. The reels spun to a halt. Victor cautiously stirred the heap of film with his foot. He'd been half expecting it to attack him like a snake. ''Have we saved the day?'' prompted Gaspode. ''I'd appreciate knowing. Victor looked at the screen. ''No.'' he said. There were still images there. They weren't very clear, but he could still make out the vague shapes of himself and Ginger hanging on to existence, and the screen itself was moving. It bulged here and there like ripples of a pool of dull mercury. It looked unpleasantly familiar. They found us, he said. Who have, said Gaspard. You know those ghastly creatures you were talking about? Gaspard's brow furrowed. The ones from before the dawn of time? Where they come from, there is no time, said Victor. The audience was stirring, We must get everyone out of here, he said, but without panicking. There was a chorus of screams. The audience was waking up. The screen ginger was climbing out. She was three times normal size and flickered visibly. She was also vaguely transparent, but she had weight because the floor buckled and splintered under her feet. The audience was climbing over itself to get away. Victor fought his way down the aisle just as Pooms' wheelchair went past backwards in the flow of people, its occupant flailing desperately and shouting, Hey, it's just getting good. The chair grabbed Victor's arm urgently. Is it meant to do this? he demanded. No, it's not some sort of special kinematographic effect then, said the chair, hopefully. Not unless they've got really good in the last 24 hours, said Victor. I think it's the Dungeon Dimensions. The chair stared intently at him. You are young Victor, aren't you? he said. "'Yes. Excuse me,' said Victor. "'He pushed past the astonished wizard and climbed over the seats "'to where Ginger was still sitting, staring at her own image. "'The monster Ginger was looking around and blinking very slowly like a lizard. "'That's me?' "'No,' said Victor. "'That is, yes, maybe, not really, sort of. Come on.' "'But it looks just like me,' said Ginger, her voice modulated with hysteria. "'That's because they're having to use Holy Wood. It, "'It defines how they can appear, I think.' said Victor hurriedly. He tugged her out of the seat and into the air, his feet kicking up mist and scattering banged grains. She stumbled along after him, looking over her shoulder. "'There's another one trying to come out of the screen,' she said. "'Come on! It's you! I'm me! It's something else! It's just having to use my shape!' "'What shape does it normally use?' "'You don't want to know.' "'Yes, I do! Why do you think I asked?' she yelled as they stumbled through the broken seats. "'It looks worse than you can imagine!' I can imagine some pretty bad things. That's why I said, worse. Oh. The giant spectral ginger passed them, flickering like a strobe light, and smashed its way out through the wall. There were screams from the outside. It looks as though it's getting bigger, whispered ginger. Go outside, said Victor. Get the wizards to stop it. What are you going to do? Victor drew himself up to his full height. There are some things, he said, that a man has to do by himself. She gave him a look of irritated incomprehension. "'What? What? Do you want to go to the lavatory or something? Just get out!' He shoved her towards the doors, then turned and saw the two dogs looking at him expectantly. "'And you two, too?' he said. Laddie barked. "'Dog's got to stay by his master-style of thing,' said Gaspode shamefacedly. Victor looked around in desperation, picked up a fragment of seat, opened the door, threw the wood as far as possible, and shouted, "'Fetch!' Both dogs bounded away after it, propelled by instinct. On his way past, though, Gaspod just had enough self-control to say, You bastard. Victor pulled open the door of the picture-throwing room and came out with handfuls of blown away. The giant Victor was having trouble leaving the screen. The head and one arm had pulled free and were three-dimensional. The arm flailed vaguely at Victor as he methodically threw coils of octocellulose over it. He ran back to the booth and pulled out the stacks of clicks that Beezam, in defiance of common sense, had stored under the bench. Working with the methodical calmness of bowel-twisting terror, he carried the cans by the armload to the screen and heaped them there. The Thing managed to wrench another arm free of two-dimensionality and tried to scrabble at them, but whatever was controlling it was having trouble controlling this new shape. It was probably unused to having only two arms, Victor told himself. "'He threw the last can onto the heap. "'In our world, you have to obey our rules,' he said, "'and I bet you burn just as well as anything else, eh?' "'The thing struggled to pull a leg free. "'Victor patted his pockets. "'He ran back to the booth and scrabbled around madly. "'Matches. There weren't any matches. "'He pushed open the doors to the foyer "'and dashed out into the street "'where the crowds were milling around in horrified fascination "'and watching a fifty-foot ginger "'disentangling itself from the wreckage of a building.' Victor heard a clicking beside him. Gaffer the Handleman was intently capturing the scene on film. The chair was shouting at Dibbler. ''Of course we can't use magic against it. They need magic. Magic only makes them stronger.'' ''You must be able to do something!'' screamed Dibbler. ''My dear sir, we didn't start meddling with things best left!'' The chair hesitated in mid-snarl. Unmeddled with... with!'' He finished, lamely. "'Matches!' Victor shouted. "'Matches! Hurry!' They all stared at him. Then the chair nodded. "'Ordinary fire,' he said. "'You're right. That should do it. Good thinking, boy!' He fumbled in a pocket and produced the bundle of matches that chain-smoking wizards always carried. "'You can't burn the odium!' snapped Dibbler. "'There's heaps of film in there!' Victor ripped a poster off the wall, wrapped it into a crude torch and lit one end. "'That's what I'm going to burn,' he said. Excuse me. Stupid, stupid, shouted Dibbler. That stuff burns really fast. Excuse me. So what? I wasn't intending to hang around in there, said Victor. I mean, really fast. Excuse me, said Gaspode patiently. They looked down at him. Me and Laddie could do it, he said. Four legs are better than two and so forth, you know, when it comes to saving the day. Victor looked at Dibbler and raised his eyebrows. ''I suppose they might be able to,'' Dibbler conceded. Victor nodded. Laddie leaped gracefully, snatched the torch out of his hand and ran back into the building with Gaspode lurching after him. ''Did I hear things, or can that little dog speak?'' said Dibbler. ''He says he can't,'' said Victor. Dibbler hesitated. The excitement was unhinging him a little. ''Well,'' he said, ''I suppose he should know.'' The dogs bounded towards the screen. The victor thing was nearly through, half sprawled among the cans. Can I light the fire? said Gaspode. It's my job, really. Laddie barked obediently and dropped the blazing paper. Gaspode snapped it up and advanced cautiously towards the thing. Saving the day, he said indistinctly, and dropped the torch on a coil of film. It flared instantly and burned with a sticky white fire, like slow magnesium. OK, he said. Now let's get the yell out of... The thing screamed. What semblance there still was of Victor left it, and something like an explosion in an aquarium twisted among the flames. A tentacle whipped out and grabbed Gaspode by the leg. He turned and tried to bite it. Laddie ricocheted back down the stricken hall and launched himself at the flailing arm. It recoiled, knocking him over and spinning Gaspode across the floor. The little dog sat up, took a few wobbling steps and fell over. Bloody legs been and gone, he muttered. Laddie gave him a sorrowful look. "'Flames crackled around the film cans. "'Go on, get out of here, you stupid mutt,' said gaspode "'The old thing's going to go up in a minute. "'No, don't pick me up. Put me down. You haven't got time.' "'The walls of the odium expanded with apparent slowness, "'every plank and stone maintaining its position relative to all the others, "'but floating out by itself. "'Then time caught up with events. "'Victor threw himself flat on his face.' Boom. An orange fireball lifted the roof and billowed up into the foggy sky. Wreckage smashed against the walls of other houses. A red hot film can scythed over the heads of the recumbent wizards, making a menacing noise, and exploded against a distant wall. There was a high, thin, keening that stopped abruptly. The ginger thing rocked in the heat. The gust of hot air lifted its huge skirts in billows around its waist, and it stood flickering and uncertain as debris rained down around it. Then it turned awkwardly and lurched onwards. Victor looked at Ginger, who was staring at the thinning clouds of smoke over the pile of rubble that had been the odium. That's wrong, she was muttering. It doesn't happen like that. It never happens like that. Just when you think it's too late, they come galloping out of the smoke. She turned dull eyes upon him. Don't they? She pleaded. That's in the clicks," said Victor. This is reality. What's the difference? The chair grabbed Victor's shoulder and spun him round. It's heading for the library, he shouted. You've got to stop it. If it gets there, the magic will make it invincible. We'll never beat it. It'll be able to bring others. You're wizards, said Ginger. Why don't you stop it? Victor shook his head. ''The things like isle magic,'' he said. ''If you use it anywhere around them, it only makes them stronger. But I don't see what I can do.'' His voice trailed off. The crowd was watching him expectantly. They weren't looking at him as if he was their only hope. They were looking at him as if he was their certainty. He heard a small child say, ''What happens now, Mum?'' The fat woman holding it said, authoritatively, ''It's easy. He rushes up and stops it just at the last minute. Happens every time. Seen him do it before.'' ''I've never done it before,'' said Victor. ''Saw you do it,'' said the woman smugly, ''in Sons of the Desert. When this lady here,'' she gave a brief curtsy in the direction of Ginger, ''was on that horse what threw her over the cliff, and you galloped up and grabbed her at the last minute. Very impressive, I thought.'' ''That wasn't Sons of the Desert,'' said an elderly man pedantically while he filled his pipe. ''That was Valley of the Trolls.'' ''It was Sons,'' said a thin woman behind him. ''I should know, I watched it twenty-seven times.'' ''Yes, it was very good, wasn't it?'' said the first woman. ''Every time I see that scene where she leaves him and he turns to her and gives her that look, I burst into tears.'' ''Excuse me, but that wasn't Sons of the Dessert,'' said the man, speaking slowly and deliberately. ''You're thinking of the famous plaza scene in Burning Passions.'' The fat woman took Ginger's unresisting hand and patted it. You've got a good man there, she said, the way he always rescues you every time. If I was being dragged off by mad trolls, my old man wouldn't say a word except to ask where I wanted my clothes sent. My husband wouldn't get out of his chair if I was being et by dragons, said the thin woman. She gave Ginger a gentle prod. But you want to wear more clothes, miss. Next time you're taken off to be rescued, you insist they let you take a warm coat. I've never seen you on the screen without thinking to myself, she's tempting a dose of flu going round like that. Where's his sword? said the child, kicking its mother on the shin. I expect he'll be off to fetch it directly, she said, giving Victor an encouraging smile. Er, uh, yes, he said. Come on, Ginger. He grabbed her hand. "'Give the lad room!' shouted the pipe-smoker authoritatively. "'A space cleared around them. "'Ginger and Victor saw a thousand expectant faces watching them. "'They think we're real,' moaned Ginger. "'No one's doing anything because they think you're a hero, for God's sake, "'and we can't do anything. This thing is bigger than both of us!' "'Victor stared down at the damp cobblestones.' I can probably remember some magic, he thought, but ordinary magic's no good against the dungeon dimensions, and I'm pretty sure real heroes don't hang around in the middle of cheering crowds. They get on with the job. Real heroes are like poor old Gasbode; No one ever notices them until afterwards. That's the reality. He raised his head slowly. Or is this the reality? The air crackled. There was another kind of magic. It was snapping wildly in the world now, like a broken film. If only he could grab it. Reality didn't have to be real. Maybe if conditions were right, it just had to be what people believed. Stand back, he whispered. What are you going to do? said Ginger. Try some holy wood kind of magic. There's nothing magic about holy wood. I think there is a different sort. We felt it. Magic's where you find it. He took a few deep breaths and let his mind unravel slowly. That was the secret. You did it. You just didn't think about it. You just let the instructions come from outside. It was just a job. You just felt the eye of the picture box on you, and it was a different world, a world that was just a flickering silver square. That was the secret, the flicker. Ordinary magic just moved things around. It couldn't create a real thing that had last for more than a second, because that took a lot of power. But Holy Wood easily created things over and over again, dozens of times a second. They didn't have to last for long, it just had to last for long enough. But you had to work Hollywood magic by Hollywood's rules. He extended a rock-steady hand towards the dark sky. Lights! There was a sheet of lightning that illuminated the whole city. Picture box! Gaffer spun the handle furiously. Action! No one saw where the horse came from. It was just there, leaping over the heads of the crowd. It was white, with lots of impressive silverwork on the bridle. Victor swung up into the saddle as it cantered past, then made it rear impressively so that it poured the air. He drew a sword which hadn't been there a moment before. The sword and the horse flickered almost imperceptibly. Victor smiled. Light glinted off a tooth. Ting! A glint, but no sound. They hadn't invented sound yet. Believe it. That was the way. Never stop believing. Fool the eye, fool the brain. Then he galloped between the cheering lines of spectators towards the university and the big scene. The handleman relaxed. Ginger tapped him on the shoulder. If you stop turning that handle, she said sweetly, I'll break your bloody neck. But he's nearly out of shot. Ginger propelled him towards Windlepoon's ancient wheelchair and gave Windle a smile that made little clouds of wax boil out of his ears. Excuse me. She said in a sultry voice that caused all the wizards to curl their toes up in their pointy shoes. But could we borrow you for a minute? Hey, hey, draw it mild. <laughs> Ponder Stibbons knew about the vase, of course. All the students had wandered along to have a look at it. He didn't pay it much attention as he sneaked along the corridor, attempting once again to make a bid for an evening's freedom. All he had to do was cut across through the cloisters and... All eight pottery elephants shot pellets at once. The resograph exploded, turning the roof into something like a pepper shaker. After a minute or two, Ponder got up very carefully. His hat was simply a collection of holes held together by thread. A piece had been taken out of one of his ears. I only wanted a drink he said muzzily. What's wrong with that? The librarian crouched on the dome of the library, watching the crowds scurrying through the streets as the monstrous figure lurched nearer. He was slightly surprised to see it followed by some sort of spectral horse whose hooves made no sound on the cobbles. And that was followed by a three-wheeled bath chair that took the corner on only two of them, sparks streaming away behind it. It was loaded down with wizards, all shouting at the tops of their voices. Occasionally, one of them would lose his grip and have to run behind until he could get up enough speed to leap on again. Three of them hadn't made it. That is, one of them had made it sufficiently to get a grip on the trailing leather cover, and the other two had made it just enough to grab the robe of the one in front, so that now, every time it took a bend, a tail of three wizards going, snapped wildly across the road behind it. There were also a number of civilians, but if anything they were shouting louder than the wizards. The librarian had seen many weird things in his time, but that was undoubtedly the 57th strangest. He had a tidy mind. Up here he could very clearly hear the voices. Gotta keep it turning! He can only make it work if you keep it turning! It's Hollywood magic! He's making it work in the real world! That was a girl's voice. All right, but the imps get very fractious if... That was a man's voice under extreme pressure. ''Bugger the imps!'' ''How can he make a horse?'' That was the dean. The librarian recognized the wine. ''That's high-grade magic!'' ''It's not a real horse. It's a moving-picture horse!'' The girl again. ''You! You're slowing down!'' ''I'm not! I'm not! Look, I'm turning the handle! I'm turning the handle!'' ''He can't ride on a horse that isn't real!'' ''You're a magician, and you really believe that?'' "'Wizard, actually. Well, whatever. This isn't your kind of magic.' The librarian nodded and then stopped listening. He had other things to do. The thing was almost level with the Tower of Art and would soon turn to head for the library. Things always homed in on the nearest source of magic. They needed it. The librarian had found a long iron pike in one of the university's mouldering storerooms. He held it carefully in one foot while he unfastened the rope he'd tied to the weathercock. It stretched all the way up to the top of the tower. It had taken him all night to fix it up. He surveyed the city below and then pounded his chest and roared. Oh, 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 oh. End of CD 9.